Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We've all heard God can fix what the world has broken. It sounds great, and we believe it. But somehow we still feel broken. I know God can, but how? Why do we still feel shame and relive pain? This is Unbroken, an intensely practical series designed to connect the dots between what we know God can do and actually experiencing it. see you guys. Well, welcome to Grace Life once again. We are in a series on uh, something we're calling Unbroken, and this is part two of it. Uh, The whole idea is this. There are so many things that we know about God, that we believe about God. Uh, For instance, the things that He can do to fix all that this broken world has broken in us, right? And, And there are these things we know and these things we believe, but they seem to be on the other side of a little stream with no bridge in between. And, and although we would all agree with them in our everyday lives, somehow they're just a little bit out of touch. And so what we're doing for this series for four different weeks, we're taking four topics that every single one of us deals with. And I need to clarify that. This is not one of those series where it's good that you brought your spouse. And it's good that your neighbor finally showed up. No, this is good for you. Because the four things that we're dealing with, every single one of us at some point deals with. Some of us, we deal with all four of them within an hour, every single hour. Some of us, we scatter them out a little bit differently, but that's okay. And so we're going to do this for the next uh, three weeks, and that's going to end on Labor Day weekend. So uh, you might want to change your travel plans if you want to really tackle these things or not. So we began the the series last week with uh, just this tiny little topic, not a big deal, called shame. Ooh. What do you think of that one? Actually, that was kind of the deep end of the pool, but no better way to get into a pool of cold water than to cannonball in the deep end, right? And so if you missed that one, you might want to go and catch that. We're going to go today with another lighthearted topic called condemnation, but nobody in here struggles with condemnation anytime, do they? Uh, So, you know, one of the things that I think we really need to do is make sure we understand what condemnation is. I know that everybody in here feels it. If, If I asked you, does anybody in here deal with condemnation, you may not want to raise your hand, but we would all do this inside. We all know what it feels like, we all know when we experience it, but we may not actually understand what's going on. So we're going to get a working definition that's going to help us today. Condemnation is an act of judgment against you. In particular, it's against your actions, it's against your standing, or it's against your character. Someone or something is saying to you that either the way you act, who you are inside, or how you stand before God is not good enough. Something is wrong with it. You're inferior. There's a problem with you. However you want to look at that. For me, I, I really began to deal with this. I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know if begin is the right word. Probably my whole life. But I know this. I became a believer when I was in high school. But I didn't do a whole lot with it. And then when I was in college, I really began to pursue the calling that God had put on my life. I knew that he had called me to do this and got into a great church in college. And and just really, it was one of the greatest seasons of my life. The problem is then I graduated and had to get a job and do real life and try to figure out what it's like to be married and go to work and all these other things before this. And so what I started hearing from the enemy was, well, you know, God called you. But that was then. This is now. That was before you messed up this part of your life. Well, God can't use you anymore. Matter of fact, God might not even love you after what you've been through and so forth. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hands. But. And so I went through a period for, for many, many years where I was dealing with a lot of condemnation and struggling. 
And so, since I know that everybody in the room at some point deals with this, the only question we really need to be asking ourselves at this point is why? So many people who know what God has done for them, and so many people who know the truth, still live most of their lives under an act of judgment. Why do we spend so much of our time feeling we're not good enough, we're not worthy, and we hear these things like, God could never love you, God could never forgive you, all of these different ideas. So the key things that we need to touch on today to solve this, because the whole goal of this series is for me to give you something that is so tangible and practical that when you leave this room, you can finally beat this thing. And we did that for shame last week, I feel like. We at least gave that opportunity there. And so today, the same thing with condemnation. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just read some scripture to you about it. I want to tell you what is the thing that can finally rid condemnation in your life. Would anybody actually like to, to, to do that, right? So that's, that's what we're going to do. Here are the key things that we have to answer first. Who is judging us? And is that judgment right? And if we can answer those two things, we can begin to deal with what is happening in our lives in terms of condemnation. We're going to look at one key passage in Scripture. There's one chapter that was written for this very thing that really helps us deal with what the enemy says and the things that come at us in our lives. And it's Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, it's on the screen behind my head. And we're going to start with a verse that many of you already know because it gets memorized, it gets written down. I've even heard songs created around this verse. This is so famous. And it's a truth that every single one of us knows right here. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. See that underlined? For those who are in Christ Jesus. This is so good, I should be able to do like a little drop the mic moment and just go to lunch. Who's ready for lunch? But I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because as true as that is, and as much as every single one of us knows it, we don't feel it. We don't live it. We wake up every single day and we know there is no condemnation. But if I asked you, when was the last day that you were completely condemnation-free? What would your answer be? We need to understand that all condemnation in our lives comes from one of two sources. And there are many voices, so don't confuse the two. I'll tell you what all those different voices are in a minute. But there are two sources of all condemnation. And nobody's gotten it right so far, so I'm going to go ahead and make you shy to yell out the correct answers. Everybody would already say one of those two sources is Satan, right? Yeah, that was the easy one, right? And, and then if we were to say something else, if people all morning so far in the other two services have said, well, Satan and people, Satan and myself, and I'm going to differ with both of those, and before you think it's heresy, I'll show you in Scripture where I get this from, but I think the two sources of all condemnation are Satan and God. And, and here's what I mean by this. Let's read that first sentence again, but this time we're going to underline something different. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a little problem for those who are not. And God clarifies that problem for you. And it's important for us to understand this, that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And if you're struggling with condemnation, you need to know where it's coming from if you really want to be free of it. Because in order to be free of it, you've got to know how to respond to it. And so what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, the good news is it actually explains that. Let's keep reading. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Does that sentence confuse anybody because the word law shows up so many times? Let me explain this. The law of sin and death is referring to the Old Testament. 
You see, here's what that was. We have a perfectly holy God in heaven, and he needs to reveal himself to us, because how else do we know who he is? And this thing in us that is not perfectly holy is the word we call sin. Nobody likes to use the word sin. Preachers have stopped using it because it's not cool. We say other things now. So look, when we talk about sin, all we're really saying is the label for why you're not perfect, although God is. All right, does that make sense? But how do we know what that is? Well, God came in the Old Testament and said, here is holiness and here's a list of things that are not. And so we ended up with the law of sin. Well, the law of sin also told us what the punishment is for that sin. And so now we call it the law of sin and death. And so the law of sin and death, all it could do is remind you of how you are not perfect and how you deserve to pay with your death. And so the cool part here is saying, look, good news for you. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you're no longer under the law of sin and death. You're no longer suddenly discovering what's wrong about you and having to pay for it with your own life. So he goes on to say, for God has done with the law, I'm sorry, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could never do. And you need to understand what it means by this. Weakened by the flesh is because the law required you and me in the flesh to do it. That's why it's weak. Here, think about it this way. If you're in a boardroom and, and there's a problem with the corporate plan and the CEO says, hey, does anybody have an idea? Or you're in a military strategy room and the general looks around and says, we're in trouble. Does anybody have an idea? And you say, I've got an idea that'll work as long as everybody in this room is absolutely perfect. That idea is weak. Because what are the odds of everybody that breathes being absolutely perfect? So that's what that means. God did what the law, because it required you and me to do it right, could never do. What did he do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Those words are so powerful. He condemned sin, not you. How cool is that? And the condemnation we experience today is incredibly misplaced because sin has already been condemned. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here's the way this goes. Anybody who recognizes that Jesus died and rose again for you is in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation, period. There should be zero condemnation in your life. And I need to just clarify that and make sure everybody understands who that is. There are plenty of people who say, oh, well, count me in because I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. The Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus. There are other religions that believe in Jesus. They even call him a prophet. They go as far as to say he was sent from God, not God himself, though. So saying that you believe in Jesus, saying that you believe Jesus was a real person who walked the earth, still not good enough. And I'm going to go one step further. Saying that you believe Jesus died and rose again for people, not good enough. The correct answer is Jesus died and rose again for me. And so anybody who has never established that in their own life, nobody who has ever gotten to the point where they said Jesus died and he rose again for me and so I now live for him. Then God does correctly speak a voice of condemnation to say, your life is on a path where you will pay for yourself. Your life is headed towards condemnation. It doesn't have to be that way. I've got good news. See, that's the good news about when God speaks condemnation, even he has the answer for it. 
But God correctly does speak condemnation for people who are not in Christ Jesus. And although that might be one of the small caveats to today's message, it's still the most important thing I could say. Because we need to know that truth. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's off the table. Does that make sense? We always say this as Christians. How many of you have heard this phrase before? Oh, you're struggling with condemnation? Well, let me help you out. You know, only the enemy condemns, God convicts. The enemy speaks condemnation, God speaks conviction. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you ever said that? Me included. I've done it, right? Here's the thing. That's only half true. God speaks both. Because although God does convict all of us who know that Jesus has died for us, he also speaks a word of condemnation to those who haven't acknowledged that so that they would know to make a change in their lives. God correctly speaks condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Now that sounds like a bad news message, but it's not. Are y'all following that? Because God has answered it. And he said, look, all you got to do, Jesus, it's all you got to do. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, in fact, if, in fact, if the most important word, the shortest word of the whole sentence is the most important one. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see, everything about how God speaks to you hinges on the word if. If you're in Christ Jesus, he speaks conviction. If you're not, he speaks condemnation and rightly so. To tell us where they are. I like to say it this way. Unforgiven sin, God condemns. Forgiven sin, God convicts. Does that make sense? I'll make sense of it. We're all sinners. Anybody? We're all sinners. But here's the difference. The people who are sinners because they wake up tomorrow. And by the way, if you didn't know this, sorry to burst your bubble. You will sin tomorrow. You will wake up and say something you should not have said. That's not perfectly holy. You will think something that's not perfectly holy. You will have a reaction that's not perfectly holy. Sorry to bury the bearer of bad news, but you will sin again tomorrow. Okay, so let's clarify this. Everybody is going to sin. However, those who recognize Jesus died and rose again, for them, their sin is forgiven. And when God speaks, he says, hey, this issue in your life, it's not quite like me. Why don't you come and be a little more like me? That's the voice of conviction. And we say, yes, God. On the other hand, for those who are not in Christ Jesus, it sounds similar. God says, that issue in your life, it's not like me. And without Jesus, you will have to pay for that. But we can respond. And if we do, that's where everything changes. You see, if you don't recognize at that point, you do have a sin problem. And you are the one answering for it. You are the one trying to prove that you're good enough. And matter of fact, unfortunately, your humanity proves you're not. And so that's where we end up in trouble. You stand condemned before a holy God. But again, anybody who says Jesus is their king should not be under condemnation. Where does our condemnation come from? Let's turn to the enemy. That's our other source where he speaks. And so here's what we need to first know. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And just to clarify, he's the accuser of God's children, the brothers and sisters. It doesn't say he's the accuser of all humanity. And think about that for a reason. For, for a minute. Why would he not be the accuser of all humanity? Because it doesn't need to be. Why would you run around telling all humanity that they're horribly sinful and need an answer? They might actually figure it out and turn to God. He's not concerned about all of humanity that's, that's already ignorant of their problem. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters because what happens is the minute that we are forgiven, the minute that we are washed clean, the minute that we make Jesus our king, he shows up to say, it's all a lie. 
And he spends the rest of his time doing everything he can to make sure that we do not believe the truth. It's all a lie. Everything he says is a lie. And so here's where those different voices come in. Two sources but different voices. And I'm going to go as far as to say I believe that both God and Satan use the exact same voices. Voice number one, spiritual voice. Can you hear God spiritually? Yeah. Can you hear the enemy spiritually? Yeah. So when God speaks spiritually, it is his spirit. And he's crying out to non-believers saying, this is what Jesus has done for you. Come to me. And his spirit speaks to those who are already believers. And it convicts us and says, you know, you could be more like me. It's called sanctification. But the enemy also has a spiritual voice. And we refer to it as demonic. And, and people sometimes, they, they get a little freaked out by that because they think, oh, I don't talk to demons. What are you talking about? I, I don't mean that your head spins around in circles. All I mean is that that's the label. It's, it's a spiritual voice and it's not coming from the kingdom of God. It's coming from the kingdom of darkness. And you see, God's spiritual voice says, come to me. Whereas the enemy's spiritual voice says, run from God. While God draws us in, the enemy drives us away. The second voice that we deal with, maybe, I don't know, I was about to say maybe more, maybe not, just depends on the people, is other people. We deal with other people all the time. And the idea is that God does speak through other people. I would like to think that I'm an example of that right now. Right now, I am trying to correctly tell people who do not have Jesus as their king that they need to make a change in that. And I'm also trying to tell people who have made Jesus their king that there should be no place for condemnation in their life. I would like to think that God is speaking through me, and I'd like to think that it's encouraging you. I'd like to think. But the enemy can also speak through people. And the reason for that is because, again, what is condemnation? An act of judgment. And what do we do naturally? Judge. If you just wake up, open your eyes, and start breathing, you will start judging. Is what we do. We look around and go, ooh, look at that person. Don't they know better than that? Oh, look at them. Don't you know? You shouldn't dress like that. Who told you that's a pretty color to paint your house? Oh, my gosh. Who told you you could dress like that? That's, that's how we live our lives. All day long, just constantly judging people. Well, here's the problem. All human judgment, at least that close to all human judgment, is misguided, ungodly, and self-protective. You ever heard the phrase hurt people? Hurt people? You see, what that means is that we allow our brokenness to come out and be displayed as brokenness. So although it was your best intent to sit down and encourage someone, your brokenness ultimately just begins to flow and messes things up. You ever had someone try to sit down and encourage you and they, they did the exact opposite? Teenagers, right? Your parents? Come on. Look, some of us are parents, and then we've all had parents. And so we, we kind of know how this goes, where you sit down and have a conversation. They come to you, something like, hey, son, look, I just really would like you to to think about stewarding your life and, and, and doing the best with your life so God can use you and give you the greatest opportunities. And, and then you just keep talking and digging yourself into a hole. Well, what do you mean, Dad? Well, you know how you're not doing so on your report card. What do you mean I'm not doing well enough at school? Well, you know, I just want you to do your homework. What do you mean do my homework? I do my homework. I hate school. Anyway. Ah! You know, like... Next thing you know, you've got a fight going on, and all you wanted to do was encourage them. See, the enemy gets in there, and things come out differently. The problem is simply because we're broken people. Even when we try to be used a voice of God, sometimes we don't do it well. So here's your secret. If you ever want to be a voice of God to people, what you'll discover is the longer you talk, the more trouble you get into. Matter of fact, Scripture even says where words are many, sin is not absent. So I would encourage you, if you want to be the voice of God to people, talk less. 
Say the least amount possible. The longer you talk, the more opportunity the enemy is going to get in there and start twisting some words, and, and the person's going to interpret what you're saying. A third voice that I believe both God and the enemy use to speak to us is ourselves. We're talking about what's going on inside of us. This is coming from our heart. The Bible says, above all else who can trust their heart, it's wickedly evil and corrupt. What that means is that our heart has a hard time filtering truth and applying truth correctly. And so we will have the other two, the spiritual voice of the enemy and the, the voice of the enemy through people, and both of those get stuck in our head and it kind of bounces around, and so we go by ourselves and we look in a mirror and we look and go, they're right. Who are you? God couldn't love you. You'll never amount to anything. And it's coming from inside of you. It's an agreement with the other things that you've heard, but it's, it's your heart that is corrupt. Now, here's the good news. Although your heart is corrupt, your heart is not totally lost. Right? God is redeeming it. And so there's also something in you that says, yeah, God, God can do that. And, and it's the thing that makes all of us feel a little bit like bipolar or schizophrenic at the same time. You know, when you, you sit down and, and you read your Bible and you start seeing a scripture about, you know, pray for your neighbor, reach out to your neighbor, you know, whatever, however you want to apply that. And, and, and you start thinking about your literal next door neighbor and you're like, yeah, man, I, God could use me to talk to him because he kind of likes me and, and, and I've got faith for him. And, and you stop and you pray for your neighbor and you're all excited, man. Like when we're going to work today, I'm just going to pause for a minute and talk to him and encourage him and tell him I'm praying for him. I'm going to invite him to church. It's going to be awesome. God's going to use me to reach my neighbor. And you're all excited. And, and God's speaking inside. And then you go and you take a shower. And, and then you're standing there looking in the mirror while you're doing your hair going, who are you to think that? You think God would ever use you? Don't you remember? You know, you threw a fit last week. And you said one of those four-letter words in the driveway. And the neighbor saw you. Who do you think you are? You see, we have those moments where we, we feel like it, in one instance, God, God's speaking and, and things are great. And then the next minute, not. And it's that battle within, which is why we struggle to sometimes trust our own hearts. So this would be a good point for me to help clear the muddy waters of what source are we hearing. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. God speaks condemnation only to people who have not made Jesus their king. And even when he does that, he does it with hope. But if you are a believer and you know Jesus died for you, God never speaks condemnation again to you. Ever. Is that clear? He speaks conviction. The minute you become a believer and God only speaks conviction, the enemy only speaks condemnation. How do you know one from the other? They start out sounding the same, but they have a completely different effect god will come to you and say hey you see this issue in your life it's not very much like me i'd really love for you to be like me so what do you say we work on that together my spirit in you we can fix that and you're filled with hope and faith and you go yes god i would love to be free of that we can do that we can we can take this thing conviction brings hope conviction brings faith Conviction draws you to God. The enemy, on the other hand, speaks condemnation. He comes to you, and he starts out about the same. See that thing in your life? It's not much like God. Matter of fact, you'll never be like God. You'll never be good enough. 
you've tried to kick this thing before and it's back and it's back with a vengeance. You do it more now than you ever did before. Who do you think you are? You should hang your head in shame and run. If you really want to know, in my opinion, one of the best ways, is this God speaking conviction or is this the enemy speaking condemnation? Just do a little mood test. It's really that simple. When you look in the mirror and you start to talk about an issue in your life and yet you have faith and hope that you can get this thing beat with the help of God because you want to be more like him, you feel good about where you're headed, that's God. But if on the other hand, all you feel is despair and you want to run and hide, it's the enemy. And it really is that simple. I know, easier said than done. So, today... What is the practical, tangible, how do we get condemnation out of our lives when we walk out this door? How do you stop living condemned? Here's the answer. Separate false accusation from true accusation and respond accordingly. Separate false accusation from true accusation and respond accordingly. And if you leave out the last three words when you quote that, it doesn't work because that's not the point. The point is all in how you respond. You've got to respond accordingly. So, so let, let me share with you at the end of the passage here. starts in verse 31 if you'll jump down with me. There are some rhetorical questions being asked. What shall then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, somebody. We should be excited about that, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we're in Christ Jesus, Jesus is our king, God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that's pretty awesome news, right? We have no reason to live under condemnation. And he goes on to say, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. More than that, who was raised and who is actually at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? We need to talk about that because I'm not sure you guys understand the gravity of Jesus interceding for us and what that means to these questions. We've got this idea that Satan stands up in heaven and he says, hey, God, you need to look at John over here. He claims to be a Christian, but have you watched how he's living? Come on, God, you need to get on him over here. And then we have this idea of Jesus interceding. Jesus runs, and he falls on his knees, and he, and he puts his hands together, and he's shaking a little bit. Oh, God, please help John. It's kind of comical, isn't it? But so many people think that that's the way it works. And it doesn't work that way at all. Actually, Satan stands in heaven and says, Hey, God, have you noticed John? He claims to be one of yours, but look at how he lives. And Jesus walks up. I wish I were bigger. It would work better. See, the point is Jesus doesn't need to say a word. His very being as the risen king, his very presence, Satan stands there pointing. Jesus walks up and takes the finger right to the chest and says, who do you think you are? He is bought. He is paid for. And there's not a thing you can say that will undo what I did on the cross, ever. And so as Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Jesus stands in heaven, just standing in heaven, every time the enemy points at you, just doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't have to beg and plead. Oh, daddy, daddy, please help. Nope, nope, none of that. We got this idea. Jesus is like this little wimpy guy just hoping things will go well. Uh-uh. He stands in heaven. He's the risen Savior. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. 
He says, who are you to point your finger at my people? Who are you? Who condemns? Who can separate them? Who dares to accuse? And if you can just imagine like a spiritual class in heaven, and there's the the kid in the back of the room who is asleep and stupid, and his name is Satan. Who can separate him from the love of Christ? Who stands to condemn him? Who would make an accusation? And he goes, me, 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 me. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, and I bet I'll get it right. Idiot. Jesus already died. You volunteered for the worst assignment on earth. You're going to lose. If everybody out there knows and calls you out for what you are, false accusation. Separate false accusation from true accusation and respond accordingly. How do you respond to false accusation? You look the person in the eyes and say, liar, shut up. Again, I know this is easier said than done, but this is really all that we have to do. You lie. You see, the Bible also calls Satan the father of lies. Everything that is not truth. Our inability to transparently reveal complete honesty in everything that we do, all of that was born from him. Everything that comes out of him is a lie. And he comes at you, and he attacks you, and he says things like, forgiven? You think you're forgiven? I mean, yeah, okay, I get the whole Jesus died thing. I was there watching, but... You know, this forgiven thing, they don't know what you really do, how bad it really is. I mean, God forgives some things, but God's love, are you kidding me? You think God would love you? And purpose? You think you have a purpose? I mean, there are 7 billion people on the planet. I'm pretty sure there's like 6.9 million, 500,000 above you. Is this making sense? These are lies. Then the enemy says, how about your worth? You know what you're worth? Can I just time out? I'm going to give you another sermon in this sermon real quick and for free. One of the reasons that we are so condemned about our worth, and the enemy comes to you and says, you are worthless, is because we rightly try to find our worth in ourselves. And that is a losing battle. Your worth doesn't come from you. Your worth comes from your creator. Your worth comes from what he has done for you and what he will do through you and who he's made you to be. And if you really want to deal with the enemy when he looks at you and says, you are worthless, say, don't you dare say that about me because I am a child of the creator, God. And he made me for this and this alone and he doesn't make mistakes and he made me to be good at this. You may need to convince yourself of it first. but He lies about your identity. He lies about your character. He lies about your actions. He lies about other people's opinions of you. I talk with all pe- people all the time. They come into my office and they sit down and they say, Pastor, I just need to talk to you. And they start talking about stuff going on in their lives. And, and you know, I'm kind of struck in this dilemma. I want to be like the most brilliant pastor you've ever had. Like, I want you to leave my office and like tweet what I just said. Like, this is the coolest. I just met with my pastor and he's the most brilliant man ever. I, I would love for that. But most of the time, I'm not kidding, like 90% of the time, I end up saying the same sentence that I'm about to say to you. When someone is telling me about all the stuff going on and the things that they're struggling with, I say this, and I'm sitting there in my own head going, 
I don't even have to be a pastor to say this. I didn't even have to go to Bible college to say this. And they made an appointment to come and see me. I'm about to, like, just let them down. And as they're doing this thing and on and on, and I just look at them and go, you know, that's the lie of the enemy, don't you? Quote, unquote, there you go, that's it. That's my best shot. And almost every single time, they look right back at me and say, yeah, I know, but, but, that's the point. If you can say, yeah, I know, don't go on with but. That's our very problem. Jesus died for you, you're forgiven. Yeah, I know, but I don't feel, what? What God said, there's a purpose for your life. Yeah, I know, but I don't, what, what? Stop with everything that comes after that. Here, let me give you an analogy that will try to help you out with this. We embrace lies for whatever foolish reason. So imagine this. You wake up tomorrow morning and the newspaper says, the government of the United States of America has passed a new law. And here's how it goes. Every United States citizen is to be granted $1 million in cash. All you have to do is go to your local town hall and pick it up. How cool would that be? You are wishing I could make some of this come to pass, don't you? So you get your passport and you get your driver's license and you go down to the town hall of Columbia and you say, I'm here for my million dollars. And they start looking down the list of all the citizens and they say, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. oh, there you are, Jimmy. Yeah, no, you're actually on the list of Polish citizens. Well, you know, that's not true. That's a lie. So you just keep my money. Thanks. Have a nice day. I'm just going to live under this lie now. Would anybody do that? Would anybody say, that's a lie, but I'm just going to live with it. Thank you. Have a nice day. Keep my money. No. You would immediately start throwing a little tantrum. That's a lie. That's not true. I'm as American as anybody. Can't you hear my accent? I'm from South Carolina, y'all. Give me my money now. What are you doing trying to keep my money from me telling me I'm from Poland? I don't even know how to speak Polish. But the enemy comes and lies, and you're like, yeah, I know. But... And you know what I think the real reason is? And so if I can give you any little bullet to put in your spiritual gun to help you with condemnation, it's this. We've been trained to put other people first in a good way. Is that true? You see somebody coming in a door and they've got a baby in a stroller, you open up the door, oh, go right ahead, you know. If you, you see somebody else only has two items and you've got 42 buggies, you, you, buggy, South Carolina, okay, anyway. And, and, and so you let that person go first and like, you, you go ahead, I will go last. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. We put ourselves last. Well, here's the problem. The enemy comes and he speaks to you and you incorrectly put yourself last. He says, you know what? You are no good. And go, well, you know, you're right. I'm no good. Woe is me. I'm just, you know, you're right. And we think wrongly that just because it's me, I can take it. I mean, after all, you would admit if he comes and says that about your kids, you're like, who do you think you are talking to my son like that? My son is God's child. Don't you ever speak to my son? We would do that, right? But when he, when he comes against us, we're just like, eh, you're right. You know, I'm, I sin a lot. If people really knew me. You know, we let him bring us down because we think it's just us. And that is one of his great lies. So let me help you. Here's your little piece of ammunition. When he lies to you, and you believe it. It's not you you're putting down. What you're essentially doing is he points at you 
and accuses you as being no good or unworthy or unlovable or unforgiven or any other word. It's like you looking and turning around and saying, see Jesus, when you died on the cross, wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. He's right. So maybe this week when you deal with some condemnation from the enemy and it's all a lie, maybe stop putting yourself last because you think it's just you. Because it's not. So if you won't defend yourself, defend Jesus. Not that he needs it. False accusation, respond accordingly. What is that? Reject the lie. That's it, reject the lie. Here are some things, real quickly, some of you might want to write down because you might need these. These are helping you if you deal with some false accusation in these areas. These are just some promises from God. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions or our sins from us. How about this one? The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those, none of those who take refuge in him, none of those who are in Christ Jesus shall be what? Condemned. None. Zero. No condemnation. False accusation. Respond accordingly, reject the lie. What about true accusation? This is what we're going to end with. The true accusation is what I've been talking about all morning. As simple as can be. The only true accusation is when God comes to you and says, you do not know my son. The life that you have planned for you eternally is not a good one. Or, those who do know his son, God comes and says, hey, come be more like me. Let's work on that together. True accusation, respond accordingly. It might mean salvation. Sometimes we talk about salvation in the church. It's a word we try not to use because, you know, when you go, hey, I'm saved. What? Really? You know, what does that mean? And a lot of times if you were to ask another Christian, what does it mean to be saved? Oh, I'm going to heaven. Wrong. That's the byproduct. That's not the meaning. The byproduct is you will spend eternity in heaven. The meaning is you are saved from condemnation that you correctly deserved until Jesus died for you. And so for some of you, you're correct. Respond accordingly to what God is saying in your life is to acknowledge Jesus died on the cross for you. First John says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. There's another very similar scripture that says, if we confess our sins one to another, that we'll be healed. If you want some practical, tangible step to set you free of condemnation, stop keeping what you're doing a secret. Because it goes back to what we said last week. Then it becomes the basis for your shame. And shame becomes the basis for condemnation. Once you feel ashamed for who you are and what you do, it is so easy to condemn you for it. And you have no chance standing up against it. You want to call it out. You got to remove the shame first. Just go and tell somebody. And it starts like this. I don't know Jesus. Can somebody help me with that? Or, hey, Fabian, I've got an issue. Can I talk to you about it? I want to be, I want to be free. I'm tired of the enemy pointing fingers at me. I want to be healed. Tell somebody. Reject the lies. Separate false accusation from true accusation. And respond accordingly. And we'll close with this promise from God. It's out of the prophet Isaiah where he was trying to help some folks who were struggling with some things back in the day. And here's what God said. Come now. Let us settle the matter. 
What you need? You need coffee? Tea? Pull up a chair to the table. Let's talk this thing through. Let us settle the matter. Because to be frank, I'm getting a little tired of you waking up every day and, and still struggling with this. Let's, let's settle the matter. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. It's a promise. It's a promise. It was projecting when Jesus would come and die for your sins. This is what God's plan was. So for anybody who's in Christ Jesus, God says, let us settle the matter. I do realize tomorrow the enemy, he's been doing this. Look, he's been doing this for a long time. Tomorrow he will get up and tell you your sins are still red. Well, guess what? They're not. So just reject the lie. Just just tell him to shut up and go away. Because Jesus is standing right in front of you. Can we just settle the matter? My parting word to you is this. When you wake up tomorrow, please do not let the enemy, do not let another person, do not let the one in the mirror unsettle the matter. The matter is settled for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is your king. There is zero place for condemnation in your life. Stop living with the lies. Reject them outright. And for those of you who have never made Jesus your king, I'm going to help you do that right now. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to do anything other than talk to him. So I'm going to help you start a conversation with him. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you died for me that I would never be condemned. I thank you that you paid the penalty of death that I owed. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your forgiveness. And I have one simple prayer today, that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.